Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we get started with our special classic weekend show. This is episode 58, as I mentioned in the opening segment, and uh, we'll talk about um, some 58 cars a little bit later on. Right now, we head to the Strutmasters hotline, and we have uh, the driver of an 11 and a 41 car. Um, not at the same time, though. Eric Iosu has joined us on Inside Groove. Happy to have you aboard, Eric. And um, I know that you've been busy lately doing some testing with a brand new race car. So that seems as good a place to start with you as any. Um, talk a little bit about this new John Coloca built car and how did you end up in it? Because I would have the feeling that there'd be about, oh, three quarters of the pit area that might like to jump in that car. Uh, so talk about how this all came together for you to get in and, and then kind of walk us through how it's gone so far in the practice sessions. Uh, yeah. Um, so, John, we well, it started, honestly, with our car. We didn't have a, uh, plans for racing a full season at Oswego this year. We were going to try and run some wing races. Um, and John over the winter decided he was going to build a, a new car himself. Uh, there was, it was potentially for somebody else and a couple things fell through and, um, John and my father go way back. They've been buddies for a real long time. And so he reached out to us and, uh, offered it to us. And of course we jumped at the opportunity. You saw what, uh, he was able to do with, pretty limited track time with Doug Didero in in the car he built for him. So it was it was an opportunity we certainly couldn't say no to. I, I love John. We've we worked with him before when we were helping Ray Graham. He helped Cody Graham for a while. He built uh built basically a copy of the, our car um for Ray to drive. Yep. Um that that Tyler Thompson eventually ended up in and I believe uh Tom Salvador and Dennis Quantz won, and now I'm not sure where that's going. But, um, but yeah, so we, we've worked closely with him over the years. He's done a lot of favors for us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when he when he asked if I wanted to drive it, the only answer was, of course, absolutely. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's how it all got started. It's been a bit of a rocky start so far at the track. We've uh, we seem to have something overridingly wrong with the car setup wise. So we we've it's actually been a blessing here the past few weeks to be able to get up to the track and try and sort things out and figure out what's going on. So we're going to be up there again tomorrow trying to see if we can work out some more of the bugs, but we certainly know the potentials there. Um, just, just, you know, new car, just trying to get those figured out. Yeah. New car blues. Uh, that happens uh, with a lot of new cars. So you just got to kind of work everything out. Uh, does it feel like it's, more the handling of the car i mean it it, it uh is there something that you feel like is just uh you haven't been able to solve as far as the balance is that kind of where you're working right now yeah we we're, we're not sure exactly we've made a lot of changes handling wise and not much seems to work so we're thinking maybe it's uh 
you know, we went through and or more like John went through and double checked all the springs and shocks and making sure everything was right where it was supposed to be. So we're going to try a few more things tomorrow, but yeah, it's, it's all handling. The car mechanically is, um, is fine. We had a little oil leak to start, but engine runs fine. Now Um, we, we had engine issues the first, you know, half a session we were out there. Um, But, but yeah, it's just in the hand, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in the handling of the car. So it's been nice that we've been, like I said, we've been able to get these few test sessions in here late in the season to, well, not late in the season, but late in the summer, I guess, um, yeah. to try and get a chance to work things out. So, Well, it's been kind of an interesting situation because, you know, Cam and I talked on this past week's show, and I said, you know, in a way, I mean, you always – I guess you you try to make the best lemonade that you can out of lemons, and um, you know this this season obviously has not been a season. But on the other hand, you know all the 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 test time that some of you guys have got, and we even talked about it. I talked about it in the context of uh, a lot of the rookie drivers. You know, with with all this extra test time that you wouldn't necessarily have if we were actually running races. It's, you know, giving an opportunity, and, and I, I would say that you guys probably fall into this too, it gives you an opportunity to sort of get all the bugs out of it before you ever put it into competition so that, you know, you'll come out in 2021 ready to rock and roll and, and you know, run to the front, whereas, you know, maybe if we'd been running races already, you'd, you'd be trying to run this in competition, or maybe you wouldn't, but either way, you probably wouldn't get sort of the relaxed amount of test time, so... You know, you just try to find some sort of a blessing in the middle of a, you know, a huge, you know, negative situation, I guess. Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, it's definitely nice in the sense that we're not trying to compete with it weekly. So we can kind of take a step back and, you know, have a cooler head and look at it as opposed to, you know, where we'd be running Saturday and then probably back up on Friday, then to race again Saturday. So it's, it's definitely been more relaxed in that sense and, and again allowed us to kind of evaluate things more in, in a more relaxed uh, way so that that is a slight bonus for sure you've had your car out as well right uh, talk a little bit about how that that's gone so far yeah we um we had a pretty uh abysmal season last year so we uh we had our shocks uh redone through through a different guy in the off season and that seemed to fix a lot of the issues we uh we went to sandusky with it to to race on july 4th and um that was my first ever experience with the wing and that was a lot of fun and we were really excited to go back for high miler but then of course the travel restrictions and quarantine wouldn't wouldn't really allow for that um but then yeah the past last week there we brought it to oswego just to test and see how it how it would run in the Oswego configuration and it seems to be pretty stout and back to where it was before. So we were happy that at least went that part of it at least went well. So good. Good. So it, it, it sounds like you've got one car, you know, somewhat ready to go or mostly ready to go when, when the time comes and you're still working on the new program with John, uh, what will happen if, uh, now when, when we come to next year, You've got two cars available, but uh, if you decide to go with uh, running for John, would somebody else be in your car, or would that just be a backup car, or have you even thought about a scenario like that as yet? 
I mean, it's we've obviously discussed it here and there, but most likely it, it'd be uh, it'd just be as a backup car, and um, you know, if something if some kind of deal came together for Classic, we're not necessarily opposed to that. But for weekly running, no, we it's too hard to run one car weekly. Trying to run two cars is just silly yeah. so so we just have it there as a backup if we needed to and um you know i'm sure my dad would try and take it out once or twice but we'd have to see if my <laughs> mom would let him do that or not <laughs> that might be a tough sell uh yeah. what, <laughs> so, uh so let's go all the way back uh eric because i'm i'm curious what your very first memory of the oswego speedway is obviously you grew up around it your dad you know, has been involved for for a lot of years. Um, what is the very first memory of being at Oswego Speedway and kind of talk about what you remember about that first time? Oh, Jeepers. My, I mean, I was I was there before I could walk or talk or, or think, really. So um, I don't know. I just remember a lot of times being there, and I was, uh, as a young kid, and rooting for uh steve joya my dad was a longtime crewman for him yep. and then of course my uncle whenever he was up here in um many different cars uh gary albright yep. and being my uncle um i don't know my pro- probably honestly my oldest memory that i can think of is being woken up by my mom because i was sleeping on her lap and she yanked my hair because something was going on with gary on the track <laughs> and i all of a sudden got woken up in the middle of the feature because i you know whatever i was three years old or something like that <laughs> that's probably my oldest memory at the track but um yeah i mean i did a lot of growing up there there at um you know steve joya's shop playing with the kids outside and you know steve and joya the third and and things like that it's just always been a part of my life whether and i wasn't really actively involved per se but yeah i was always at the track on saturday nights when did you decide that uh it was time for eric to climb behind the wheel of a race car um, well, I didn't, like I said, I didn't really get involved in, the, in working on the cars until 2007, um, when my dad started helping Ray Graham, um, my brother-in-law. So yeah. I, I decided to start getting my hands dirty then. And I think just about any crew guy has the dream of racing. And it's like, um, when I graduated college, I thought about potentially trying to drive one. Uh, but it was just, we were still helping Ray at that point and I was having fun doing that. And I always, the th- my thought was always, well, you can't get in one if you don't know how to fix one. So I had a great teacher and my father and just learned a lot, a lot, a lot. And, um, yeah, in 2015, uh, Ray approached us and said, Hey, here's the, here's this car. If you, if Eric wants to race it, you guys can you guys can take it for the season and you couldn't say no. So that's, that's <laughs> well, you uh, could have, but <laughs> well, yeah, but that you can't, when an opportunity like that comes along, you can't say no. So, exactly. um, no, I was more than excited to do it. I mean, nervous, you know, super nervous, partly scared, but it was just one of those deals where it's like, well, you got to try it now. You know, you haven't been doing this for, haven't been working on these cars for these years to, to not try it. So what do you remember? 
the very first time you got in it, went out for practice. You're, what what were you, what was that like for you? What were you thinking about? I mean that it, well, it I I always hear stories it, and I you know the guy that I worked for at Race on Driving Experience in Memphis used to always talk about the fact that you know you put an ordinary Joe with no racing experience into a race car and you know you send them out there for the first time you got to prep them before they go out because once they get out they completely forget what their name is and I know that was kind of you know uh, metaphoric or whatever but um how much of that did you sort of sense that like, Oh my gosh, I'm in a race car. I'm in a race car. I'm in a race car. And when, and you know, what was it like for you? Um, it was interesting. Actually, I'd been out in one before when I was working, um, with Bob Hofer and Billy Samuels on Pat Lavery's car, they were kind enough to let me take it out. You know, I didn't fit right. Pat's a lot taller than me. I was going to say, yeah. So, so yeah, it was a nice, it was nice to do, but it was way different. I remember preparing to get into the 11 the first year. And of course I went and bought a handful of books and read them all. And you know, all these things you're supposed to be doing. And yeah, that just like you said, as soon as I got out on the track, that all went right out the window. Cause yeah. it's just, everything happens so fast. It's like, you don't have time to think about any of that, especially with no experience. Um, I just remember the first time out there, it was like, man, these walls are really close. <laughs> They're going really fast. Yeah, exactly. And of course, they had the transponder on. It's like, yeah, I got to be going pretty good. And you look up, and it's like twenty three seconds. <laughs> it's like, well, I got a long way to go here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I just, I definitely remember having the thought, I must be nuts doing this because, like I said, how close the walls are, and just how fast everything starts going by, and you're just it's a whole different world. You know, again, I've been going to the track since before I could walk or talk and it's, it, you don't, the perspective of being on the track is just a completely new world. It's like, I'd never been there before. So, um, it was re- it was exhilarating, but yeah, it was just like, uh, I, all of a sudden I'm in like a different sport now. So I can only imagine what that must have been like. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, picking up the first feature win, um, I mean, that had to be a surreal moment, finally taking the checkered flag. And, and, and again, here you know, here you are, no previous experience, really, just getting a super and, and go and, and end up uh, in victory lane. Yeah, that was, that was wild, actually, because we were still, um, Ray was still loaning us the car. Yeah. And- um, we didn't know, you know, I never knew when our last race would be, you know, as far as, um, you, you know, who knows that could have been the last season, the 2015 might've been my only season, yep. you know, whatever we didn't really, we weren't really sure. So, um, it, but the, actually the race before that I had, I crashed in the twin 35, just guys spun in front of me and I ended up in part of it. And I finally said to myself, I'm like, you know what? You're never going to win a race. It's too hard. These guys are too good. Might as well just relax and enjoy it. And, you know, lo and behold, we come out next week, and I was about as calm as I could be. I just, I don't want to say I didn't care, but I wasn't worried about winning or doing this or doing that. I just wanted to try and relax and have fun. And, you know, everything came together for us that night. And it was just, it was, it was surreal. It's still hard to believe sometimes. So, um yeah, it's just, uh, you know, everything just worked perfectly for us that night. We had a really, really good car, and it was it was actually probably a blessing that it went 
75 laps green because restarts are tougher for me sometimes being right. a more inexperienced driver. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was wild and it's just something I'm never going to forget. And even if I never win again, we'll still always have that. So you can't take that away from you. So. Well, it, it goes to show you though, doesn't it? How important the mental approach is to the, to the sport when you say, you know, I, I told myself the race before, you know, screw it. Um, I'm just going to relax and have fun. I'm probably never going to win. And then, and then you go out as relaxed as you are and look what happens. It's, you know, it really is as much of a mental sport as, you know, as it is car setup or, you know, physical conditioning or whatever. But, uh, you know, you were able to, to get the win and, and uh, just the memories that you and your dad are making of of doing this together. I'm sure, you know, that that's obviously uh, that's uh, we see so much of the generational uh, thing happening at the Oswego Speedway and always have really I, I've you know it, w- it was happening even uh, when I was younger and you know you see the Graves brothers and then you know it kind of goes from there um, fathers and sons and cousins and you know nephews or whatever um, you know it, it, it has to be pretty incredible for you guys to be able to do this together and I'm sure your dad is pretty uh, pretty proud of it as well. Oh yeah, that's. I mean, that's been a big part of it is just being able to spend a lot of time with my mom and dad, and you know, that's they, they're part of the reason I moved back here after college and racing was the other part. So to say it's been successful is you know a bit of an understatement. So, um, but yeah, we always have fun together. It gets pretty intense sometimes. At the end of the day, you know, we love each other, and it's never. Um, it's more about competing and doing our best. That's why we get heated, not because we dislike each other. You know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, it happens. I mean, you're right. It's it's a very intense sport. Um, you know, it's not. Um, you know, I, I I always look at some of the other sports, even you know, in a practice sense. I mean, in baseball, you go out and you kind of loosen up and, you know, shag some fly balls and take some swings at bat, and then you go play a game later. You know, um, the practice itself isn't really all that, you know, you, you, you go to the Oswego Speedway and unload the car and go out for hot laps, and, I mean, it's it's every bit as intense as a race because you're trying to get every every last tenth out of the car that you can, knowing that, you know, that's the, the only way you're likely to end up in victory lane at the end of the night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of, um, relaxed warm up time out no. there. I mean, you're certainly more relaxed than when you're, you know, wheel well, yeah. with a guy, but you still got to pay attention. Guys still wreck or cars blow up or, you know what I mean? All sorts of things can still happen in warm ups. And you, I mean, it happens every year. Some sure. guy wrecks in warm ups or a few guys do. And, so yeah, you always you still got to be paying attention. So. Yeah, well, I guess I'm saying is you know if you drop a fly ball in practice, you know it, it doesn't really make any difference for how you're going to perform in the game. If you you know if you're off four tenths in practice, that that's a pretty big deal when you know when you go to start the heat race. You know, right? It's it's just like it's I guess the intent is is completely different in in the. Uh, you know the 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 stated goal. You know you're loosening up in baseball or football. You're 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 you know you're actually trying to perform. Um, you know up to up to game time level in 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 practice certainly. or racing. Yeah, certainly. it's just I mean, a different yeah, thing. Yeah, and the other aspect is it's a lot easier to 
with your traditional sports, you can go out every day for eight hours and practice. Well, that's true. Yeah. In most racing forms, and I'd say in almost all of them, you you just track time is a very limiting factor. So it's it's definitely you're trying to get everything you can out of practice where you have a bad practice day like you said in baseball or whatever it's like oh well we'll come back tomorrow yeah you know yeah you brought up something a minute ago that 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 triggered a question in my head so we go back to you know you're you're getting your start uh in your career and you're out there the first couple times you're by yourself what what was it like the first time you actually raced around other cars how did that change your perspective of where you thought you were in terms of, you know, your 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 how much you'd improved from practice to practice? Now we're racing with other cars are on the track with us. Uh, what, what was that like for you for the first time? Well, it's interesting because like all the stuff you think about the walls and how fast you're going yeah. kind of goes away. Because, again, it, you know, you're all going relatively the same speed. Right. Um so so a lot of that sense of speed goes away um but i don't know my first heat race i spun out and i didn't see anybody the rest of the time and then my first feature i was just really lucky um we actually finished on the lead lap somehow <laughs> we, we it's it's actually really funny because i pulled in in the heat race after six laps because i was getting lapped and i had to argue with my dad to put enough fuel in the car for the feature to finish because he thought we'd just go 10 laps and pull in. <laughs> so, See what you get for our... thinking, Dave. Way to yeah, have confidence that, that in your was, kid. That was our first uh, <laughs> argument with the with the race car. I was like, just fuel it up. I go, how stupid is it going to be if we got, you know, and, and, and the car was pretty good, and I just, I don't know, I just went out there and did what I could, and I think we came home 13th, but, you know, we got we got cautions right at the right time. Right. Two, diff- two or three different times um, where I was about to get lapped. And I don't know. I just you just drive the car to your best ability. I passed a few guys. It was wild. And I'm like, oh, this isn't so bad. I can I can do this no problem. And I, I think I finished on the lead lap like twice the rest of the season. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It's definitely it, – it's definitely easier to go fast, but passing guys and being able to race wheel to wheel is a whole different yeah. skill set than yep. just being able to go fast around the track. I see that um, with young drivers. That's all something the I time. learned the hard way a bunch of times, and yep. it's just—I'm still learning that part of it. I, I'm pretty confident in my ability to turn fast laps, but you know, trying to pass guys and finding places to pass them and um, things like that is is certainly an art. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, I I sometimes, you know, like there there are a couple of drivers racing down here in the late model stocks that literally are like 21 and they started when they were 18, like racing anything, like a Legends car at 18 and now you're 21, you're racing a late model stock and it's like, you know, I try to explain to people that, that in, in racing years, that, that boy is three. <laughs> like it's it matters it's not a matter of you know and and so when you when you see a driver like that and you you know you see that okay maybe they haven't de- fully developed the past timing part of the, the 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 craft yet it's you know that just is flat experience i mean you gotta have years of experience this isn't something you can learn to do overnight and 
I mean, you started in a, in one of the hardest cars there is to pass. Uh, you know, at least um, I would I would argue in its current configuration because everybody is kind of going the same speed. So, you know, you 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 don't. Whereas maybe you know, twenty years ago or whatever, thirty years ago, you had a you had such a difference in speed, and, and somebody go into the corner and hit the brake and slide up, and then you go by. And I'm not saying it was easier back then to 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 race a car, only saying that I think it was easier to pass your way from the back to the front than what we have now, which, you know, so you really came into this, um, I would would argue from being, you know, an observer, you came into this in an era when the odds would be ridiculously against you to be able to start in a super modified and develop the ability to be a consistent winner and consistent front runner, but you've developed that craft and I know you, you know, as you said, you didn't have a great year last year, but a lot of that was just the race car. Um, and, you know, now you've kind of got that back on track. So, you know, I, I think you've done a great job with, you know, with your career up to this point. And it feels like, you know, once you get John's car dialed in and you got your car fast, 2021 could be a really interesting year for Eric Iosu. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I'm always working at it. I'm always trying to read things. Um, I finally, um, now it used to be so hectic for me at the racetrack, just trying to get myself ready and get myself in the car and just everything was so new. Now that I've got some more experience, I'm able to kind of take things in stride more. So now I got a, well, it was for this season, but I got a whole GoPro set up. So now I can, so I can, and that's more, I mean, I'll, I'll post them on the internet so people can enjoy them, but that's more for me so I can review my own performance. Excellent. Yeah. We, we had it a few times. One of my buddies was doing it and it's just nice to go back and look at and say, you know, you think things happen one way, but when you go back and actually watch the tape, they don't necessarily develop that way. And I know it helped a lot when we had it, but again, it was my rookie season and everything was just, you know, every night was just uh, on edge for me again, just, just from trying to get in the car to get on the track and you know, every, there's just too much going on. But again, now that everything's more habit, it's easier to take the, take my time and, and do things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, again, I'm, I'm always trying to work on my performance as a driver. So, so yeah, I, I'm hoping if we can get this new piece going well, I think it'll be really, really good. So uh, I'm excited to try it, and I'm excited to get in again tomorrow. I mean, even if the car's not, even if we don't figure it out, it's still always fun getting out on the track. So. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about classic for a bit. What is the very first classic that you actually remember? Uh, First one I actually remember is i want to say 91 um when joe gozik won okay that's the first one i remember um i don't remember a lot from it but that's the first one I remember. okay all right fair enough yeah um Um, you know again i was at a bunch of them i missed a handful when i was younger too because i just my interest waned a little at you know through my formative years i guess but once i got into high seriously school, definitely like you actually got to a point where the classic wasn't the biggest thing in your life you rebel you yeah <laughs> how dare you <laughs> I, I think it was just um 
too, you know, too much at some point. You know, it was just such a big part of my life. I was just kind of like, you know what, I'm over this. Let's talk about racing. I don't care anymore. You know, being the rebellious child, I guess. But no, I it's um, that's a that's a race I always enjoy watching. That's if I go back and watch old races, I always try and find classics to watch and just. From just from a driver's sense, I like to study him a little and see what what did the race winner do this year? No, did he ride up front all day? Did he ride out back all day? Yeah. Did he struggle? Was he sitting back? You know, it's just always interesting to see how um won the race. Yeah. So for sure. So that's what what I like to do. But but yeah, I mean, like I said, ninety one is probably my first memory. Again, I was probably at the three or four before that I was born in 85. Right. Um, so, but, but I couldn't tell you anything about them. So. <laughs> well, you miss, you, you don't remember some really good classics. That's all I can say about that. Um, but it was, yeah, I remember 91. And, and uh, in fact, that, that was actually, um, that one, I mean, I had been, I've been writing for the pal times, uh, I started, <clears throat> excuse me, in 88, I think, and, and so had a couple of them before that is, is, is media, but that was, I think 91 was the first year I did the radio show, uh, and that was, uh, so, so you know, being able to sort of um, be a part of that with, with, with Joe, um, and, you know, he and I have become friends over the years, and, and I really have a lot of respect for him, that was a you know that was a long overdue win for him and 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 a big um you know a pretty big deal uh you know obviously being from Oswego and 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 going out winning so that was a cool classic now what was it like for you as a driver talk about experiencing your first classic as a as a racer because obviously um you know i think we all have our memories as a fan and things that about the weekend that we most enjoy but as a driver is it sort of a mixed blessing in a way? Because, I mean, you get you get what you probably, you know, dreamed of as a child. I, I would love to race in the classic. And yet at the same time, it brings all the work and the pressure and the, and all of that with it. Is it sort of a mixed blessing? Uh, yeah, I'd honestly say driving in general is like that as a mixed blessing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an awesome, awesome thing. And it's not anything you want to give up, but it's, um, even being a crew guy for, you know, that's, uh, whatever, eight years before yeah. that, you could always still attend a party or two or whatever, you know, you yep. didn't have to be sharp come race day. I mean, you still had to be sharp enough to perform basic crew duties, but, yeah. um, but you obviously, you know, you miss out on some of the other fun classic traditions cause you gotta be, you know, rested up and ready to go. Um, but yeah, as far as, as far as the, my first classic goes, yeah, I was, I mean, I was nervous before every single race that whole season. So that wasn't anything new, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we were, uh, I was actually really excited. I was pretty disappointed. We just missed out on the top 14 right. time trials, um, Friday night. So we had to time trial again, Sunday morning and we ended up 16th, I think, um, which I was still, you know, I was still pretty happy with that sure. effort. Um, and we just, we just missed on the setup. We didn't, we, t we turned the nose wing down way, way too much. And the car was just a dump truck the entire afternoon. And it was just awful to drive, but we, um, 
Hey, but we finished, I think two or two or three laps down and we ended up 13th, I think, or 12th. So, um, you know, we were, we went all, well, 198 for us, but we went all yeah. 200 laps. So, um, I was really proud of that. I ended up being the rookie of the race and, um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was ended up being a really big relief and it felt like we accomplished something just because we were able to, you know, the cars stayed together and we, and, oh, yeah. and we finished. So, yeah, that had to be well. And, and honestly, you know, the fact that it wasn't a, a, a great handling race car that day probably made the accomplishment even sweeter because, you know, here you are a rookie and you're, you're not, you don't have the best car under you and you've got to, you've got to manage that car and get it through the race. And, and you, and you did that. Um, so that probably made it even just a little bit sweeter that, uh, you know, we didn't even have our best race car and we still got through the race in one piece. Yeah, it, w- it was bittersweet because I, I felt like our car was really good over the long run sure. and that, that played to, that played to my hands, obviously being inexperienced is, you know, the, the more laps helps me out because right. that's more time for me to kind of relax and get in a groove, but it just, it never came together for us. And that was. That was uh that was just inexperience, honestly. When we turned the wing down for um for that ten lap uh, yeah. full fuel load warm up, that was that was what my gut told me was that it was way too tight. But we had we had already made the decision together that this was the way to go, and and that's what we did. And it it just wasn't the right decision. So no big deal, you know. It was just we again we finished. Who knows you. Everyone likes to say, "Oh, we would have had a chance to be on the podium or whatever." Yeah. But it's like, who know? Who knows if the wing was up, you could have gotten in a jingle with some other guy and well, that's destroyed the, the thing. Car. So yeah. you can't. Yeah, it's too easy to say, you know, ifs and buts and things like that. So, so if you're talking to a younger driver who's coming into a super for the first time, what is your advice? What would be my advice? Um, talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I just, just take it easy. You know, you can't, you can't learn anything about the car if it's smashed up and, uh, you know, just don't try and overdrive the car. You can't, these, these cars, you can't, if it's not handling well, just don't, I've done this way too many times in my career and we ended up wrecked is you just, the car's not working right, but so you try and make up for it yourself yeah. and that's just never going to happen. Um, I know in maybe different cars you can you can compensate a little with your driving skills, but if these things aren't working, you're more likely to end up in the fence just because of the the horsepower and the torque in these things. It's just too too easy to get in trouble with an ill handling race car. Yeah, I've heard many a champion say take what the race car gives you and uh you know, I think there's a lot of merit to that. Yeah. Yes. Like I said, especially in these things, it's just too easy to get in trouble. And then, and especially in any kind of short track racing, especially with walls, it's yeah. just too easy to put it in the fence. And now you didn't learn anything about the car and now you got to spend all week putting it back together for what, you know, you're racing for ninth place or 10th place and it it just doesn't make any sense. So, well, that's uh that very valid points. Um, and, you know, definitely looking forward to seeing what, uh, you all and John can do together with that car. Um, and uh, we're excited to see what you can do for 21. Um, obviously, I want to give you an opportunity here to uh, talk about 
who helps you make everything happen with your racing because uh, you've you've got a couple of really good sponsors and certainly a lot of people around you that have put in a lot of time and effort to uh to help you to be where you're at yeah yeah well 2020 is not over yet we are going to star whether it's with john's car or our car oh okay good figured out yet but we will be going to the star classic so i'm excited for that um but yeah i mean that definitely my my mom and dad and my brother-in-law they all got me started and my dad's obviously the engine that kind of makes our team go sure um and you know i've had a lot of crew guys help me over the years uh, brandon scott my cousin donnie um those guys have always been helpful and a big help when they when they're at the track and of course i gotta thank john coloca for giving me an opportunity to get in his new car i know we'll get it sorted out and i know it's going to be fast just not quite there yet but sure. uh, as far as sponsors go we got oswego health they were kind enough to come on board last year and that's been actually a really great partnership. Unfortunately, the way things happened this year, you know, that that hasn't been able to continue yet. But yeah. I know they said they'd be on board for next year Good. as long as there's racing. Um, Hannibal Pharmacy, they've been with me from the beginning. Um, so is Acrofab. Um, we've had Oswego Quality Carpet come on board and SNS Tractor Parts up in uh, Manlius um helps us out too so uh, yeah i mean it's just the, the we had sponsors start with us before we'd even before it even turned a lap so that was that was always nice to have so. for sure well we certainly are uh excited to see what you can do at sta and uh look forward to uh uh hopefully a, a good finish from you there and then uh obviously if everything goes according to plan here uh we can um get situation back to normal we'll uh we'll gather around the fast five eighths in 2021 and do some racing laps again yeah i'm certainly hoping for it and i'm looking forward to it well uh good luck with the uh the the testing and also at star and uh appreciate you taking some time to spend with us here on inside groove and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon all right appreciate it tom you have a good one you too that's eric iosu we'll be back with more of the groove right after this Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the country. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we continue with our classic weekend show. Uh, And man, it just somehow, this is episode 58, oh, by the way, um, and we'll get to that uh, number in a moment, but... Uh, somehow this feels like a drastically hollow classic weekend show because, of course, there is no classic. But thanks to Eric Iosu and uh, this next young man who we're going to talk to, who happens to be my co-host for this show, and the Oswego Speedway PR dude, and uh, a driver who's run a couple of these classics now, uh, Camden Proud, uh, they're kind of making this more fun. Uh, So, Camden, welcome back to the show. Um, Good to have you on two weeks in a row. I don't think that's happened in months. Um, (laughs) Cam and I, by the way, are working on ways to get him on the show, even when he's over in Norway. So, basically, what Cam doesn't understand is once we figure all that out, there will be no place in the world that he 
can hide from this show. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) so we're glad to have you back, Cam. And, um, and of course, you know, classic week, classic weekend. Um, this is for super modified fans, basically, um, you know, secondary to Christmas perhaps. And it certainly is, uh, for, for a lot of us fans, it is, um, kind of a, I always looked at it as, as, as as exciting as it is, I looked at it as always have looked at it as being a little bit bittersweet because, just like I think we all look at Memorial Day weekend as sort of the unofficial start to the racing season, it feels like it always feels like Labor Day weekend is the unofficial end because even though you have a, a few big fall shows after that, and racing in this part of the country where I am, for example, goes on. I mean, this year a lot of tracks are trying to run up until December. Um, to make up time for what they lost uh, early in the year with the shutdown. Um, it still feels like this is the last big holiday weekend that we race for the year. So it's kind of the climax. Um, and when it comes to a Swiggo now, y- you know, you're obviously um, still very young. Uh, and so your memories of classic as a, as a young um fan growing up and you have two ways in so to speak one is just as a fan but two because your dad raced in it and and so i think was it 2000 was your first classic that you remember that your dad raced in or what 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 was the first classic that you actually remember so we were going through that yesterday my mom and dad and myself because i didn't even know what my first classic was up until last night oh really Um, yeah ironically mike bond drove my dad's car in 1999 i wasn't even one yet and mike ran the classic with the 22 and the next year my dad came out had a really good qualifying lap uh, i think qualified in uh 17 yes i remember that yep and I asked them, I said, was I there? And they said, I don't know. I think maybe you went up in the stroller for a little bit or something. So uh, lo and behold, I pulled out some crates of photos and scanned some stuff. And there was little one-year-old me at the autograph session with my dad (laughs) (laughs) on Friday night. So 2000 was my first classic. Uh, First one I remember, 2005, 2006. So when I think of classic, I kind of think of Greg Furlong when I was younger. Oh, well, that would make sense. Uh, by the way, officially, your dad qualified 19th. Um, 19th, okay. And here's what's interesting is you look back, your dad's fastest lap was a 17.326, and it was 19th quickest. I mean, if you look at a 17.326 now, you'd be nowhere even close. I mean, I, no. <laughs> I, I can only imagine that the guys like your dad that were racing back then you know, look at these 15-second laps that y'all are running now, and it's kind of like, wow. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's just funny how time sort of, you know, evolves like that. But, yeah, um, so 19th quickest. So that, your first classic, 0506, you think about Greg Furlong. That's really, obviously, in that period of time, you know, that was his era, right? He kind of owned that era. Um but I feel like that era was also um, sort of the transitory era because to me, there's a whole other era that that developed from, say, 08 or 09, maybe 10 forward 
that became the Otto Sitterly era, right? And, right. and yep. you know, the cars continued to evolve to the point where if you took the car that Furlong won his first couple classics in, I mean, you know, it wouldn't be nearly as competitive today as far as speed-wise. And so that's a that's an interesting era that you started going in. Um, when you think about Classic Weekend, what what sort of comes to your mind what what do you what kind of gives you the goosebumps when you think about classic because we all have different things that we respond to that sort of are a part of the weekend um when i think classic i just i believe it or not i don't even think of racing in it i think of being a younger kid and sitting in the stands and um you know watching my favorite drivers walk up over the top of the podium and you know, push trucks, take them away. I yes. think of that a lot. Yes. And, um, you know, Roy's call and uh, just, man, there's, there's so many different memories and, and moments that come to mind, but I, I do, I do really, uh, you know, I would consider the first thing I think of sitting in the stands as a kid and, and uh, you know, it's pretty wild to think 10, you know, years later, I'm out on the track with some of my heroes that I, I grew up watching. Yeah, you kind of found your way in like so many others did through the SBS division, and that was kind of your first. Um, it's funny because I think about obviously I'm not a racer, but I um, it it there was one year, and I don't remember what year it was, but uh, there was one year where my brother and I had go karts, and um, Kevin did all the work maintaining them, but he and I both ran the classic kart race and. You know, for me, that was a thrill. We were both, he was, in fact, for for the first 25 laps of the race we were in, he was fourth, Tim Guru was fifth, and I was sixth. And it was like, we're, we're 20 laps into this, I don't know, it was probably 50 laps, I don't remember. But it, but it, we were almost halfway through, yes, yeah, so I guess it would have been a 50. Um, and, and I remember, like, thinking, I'm just sort of sitting here waiting for one of those guys to screw up. Like, I had a fast cart. And um, we got to a restart, and I hit the, I hit the throttle, and the the motor blew sky high. Like I think I oh. blew a rod right out the side of the motor. I'm like, oh gosh! <laughs> and I can remember the dejection that I felt because here's all these people. It's classic, you know. I'm certainly racing is not my you know skill set per se, but this was I was having a good race. It just I would have been happy to finish sixth if that's what it was going to be. And and uh, yeah. It was so like that's I and I the reason I bring that up is to say that I think no matter what part of the weekend you race in, it's still classic and it's still special because it's classic. It has an atmosphere and an energy that no other racing weekend at Oswego Speedway has. Um, And so you kind of found your way in through the SBS and you there. Um, was it your rookie year or your second? There was one year you had a top five, right? Was it your rookie year? That was 2017. We had the top five. Okay. Okay. A little yeah. more recent. Okay. So, yeah, you, you ended up with a top five finish, and I'm sure at that moment for you, like, that was the pinnacle, right? Like, you, you obviously would like to have won, but a top five in the Classic is pretty stout. And then you get the opportunity <laughs> to actually get into a super modified um, does the does the SBS top five 
and I don't. I want to be careful how I ask this question. Does the SBS top five diminish at all when you think of it in light of being able to just start in the super modified classic? I mean, how do you compare those those two in your mind? Um, I don't think it diminishes, but I do think that my most valuable classic memory would just be the first time in, in 2018 we had the 22 and uh, just standing on the grid getting ready to start yeah. that race because. I mean, to be honest, we didn't even know a week or so before that we were even going to make it with both cars that even be there. And um, it didn't run too good. We had a lot of problems. I remember that. um, We showed up, ran a 16-9 and just hung around, stayed out of trouble in the B main and ended up uh, being put into the field. And uh, just to stand there and, um, you know, hear the anthems and all that stuff and, and soak it in with my dad and my family. I remember I was crying. I had tears of joy and uh, Johnny Tracy came over and said, what the heck's wrong with you? I says, no, no, it's, it's all good. It's tears of joy. It's good. It's good stuff. Well, and, uh, just great memories. See, that's what, and that's how this sport is supposed to be. I remember Jack Hewitt at Indy. Um, I mean, Jack was, I think 44 years old by the time he got to run Indy and he was an open wheel legend. I mean, you know, and, and he get, he, um, I remember being, I was driving somewhere um, and listening to the the pre race on the radio, and I can remember as they were running the pace laps, um, the IndyCar radio saying, you know, that Jack, um, you know, Jack was, you know, had tears coming down his face, um, you know, in in the car uh, on the track in pre race, and and um, saying that he wished that his father could have been there to to you know, to see him accomplish that. And, um, you know, that's what this sport is supposed to be. And you've always had such an incredible, um, not, you know, there are some families, it's almost seems like an entitlement. I don't think we have any of those at Oswego, but you, you go, you look around the sport and it's almost like, well, this is what we're supposed to do. We're just all racers. And you, but you, it's different. It's, there's a passion for it that you show and you wear on your sleeve. And I always, you know, I look, I, I, and you, I think you posted it again yesterday. Um, the picture of you kneeling by the 22, it's like, there's a look on your face. That's, that's just very, you know, telling it's, it's almost like a mix of, um, this is the most incredible moment of my life. And, oh my God, is this real? Um, (laughs) you know, it's kind of, there's, if you look at the expression, um, and it had to be very surreal for you. And even more so because of course, you know, same paint scheme your dad had when he ran his classic, right? Like that, I'm sure that was an incredible moment for your family. It was. It, it's still surreal. I look back now, and even last year, it just it all feels like a dream. You know, the yeah. seasons go by so fast, and just to, you know, it's it's where I grew up. Like I said, the the you know earliest classic I can recall, really remember, would be ten or so years ago, and that's really not that long ago. No, and, <laughs> it's funny. You know, you, you fast forward a decade, and not even a decade, and you're standing out there doing it with your family, and um just to see that come to life, I would look back and, uh, a lot, I still do it, it pictures of my dad's race cars and, and to be able to replicate that really pretty well and, and make my first start in the classic in that car. Uh, I, I can't even describe what that means. Were you able to, was there anything between the first time and the second time, um, in the super, was there anything about how you approached the weekend is a driver that was that you kind of did differently from 
kind of going through it the first time? I mean, did did you realize, okay, I got to, you know, is there was there anything different about the way you kind of went into the weekend? Well, sure, I didn't miss my second time trial last year. <laughs> I did the first year. <laughs> so that was my biggest mistake. Um, you know, honestly, I went in with a lot more confidence. We were we had an okay year. Um, got the rookie of the year. We were getting faster each week, staying out of trouble, and I I felt like that we had a pretty good car. And uh, I just went out there for the time trials. It was it was a frustrating night. Stuff was breaking. The rear end had problems. Yeah. The gearbox had problems. And I just went out, and my dad says it's good. The the stagger, everything measured up great. Just go mash it, and I did. And 16-2 and ran the best lap I've ever ran. We missed by two spots, but um, had a nice competitive run in the uh, heat race Sunday morning, and, and I was in and with a lot more confidence than I had the year before, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and, and I asked Eric this question in his interview. Um, you know, I said, I, I feel like in a way it's got to be sort of a blessing and and maybe a little bit of a curse when you go from um, enjoying classic as a fan to enjoying classic as a driver, because the beauty of enjoying classic as a fan is that you get to take it all in and enjoy it, and you know do all of classic weekend when you're when you're when you're you're a driver. Suddenly now you have all this work and all this pressure and all this sort of you know and and so I asked Eric, you know. Does it did it does it take away in any way from the experience of doing it? And I'm going to let you answer because you haven't heard Eric's yet. And then I'll I'll compare his to Eric. So for you, how 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 is it going through? Obviously, everybody wants to drive, but if we set aside that obvious you know notion, um, how, how does it change going into classic or being a part of the classic as a driver versus just uh, as a fan? That's a really good question uh, for me, and, and I kind of think about that a lot. Uh, I I do miss to an extent, you know, the days of sitting in the grandstands with with dad and, and my family and be able to enjoy it from that side. Yeah. And there's part of me that still does really enjoy. Uh, Saturday we go sit and watch the modified race and yeah. and Isma, and that's fun, you know, to kind of. You know, I haven't sat in the stands really in eight years, and it's kind of, in a way, you're being a kid again, so yeah. I enjoy that. But to be honest, I wouldn't trade what I'm doing for anything. There's nothing like living in the moment and, and starting that race, and um, no, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, it's just different, and I would imagine. And, you know, one of the things, like for me, Classic Weekend um, you know, and of course I was lucky enough, I think, to, you know, to grow up in what I would consider the ultimate heyday of of Oswego and super modifieds and whatever but classic weekend for for me it would be you know you you'd we we only lived you know five six blocks away and you would every night we would take a ride by the track part of the, the classic experience for me though i never actually did it was just observing how camp city started forming you know a week before the classic and got you know um and got bigger every night until you you would look and of course you know the bowling alley wasn't there back then so you had all that area too um it would just be this sea of campers and people camping in the plazas across the street because they couldn't find the spot you know just like this my gosh it was incredible and 
and Eric um, kind of mentioned that, you know, maybe you can't enjoy that part of it quite as much when you're driving because obviously you got to get your sleep and save your energy and you don't really want to get drunk the night before <laughs> the classic true. unless yeah. you're Richie Evans, uh, you know, and, and somehow that man, I don't know how he ever did it, but um, it's uh, no, it, it just really uh, is a different experience, I would imagine, because even as a crew member, and I've done that a few times, all right, I'm not the one driving the car, but you're still feeling that pressure and feeling that moment. And, you know, it's still a, so it becomes a different thing. It's about accomplishing something instead of necessarily just observing it and enjoying it. But, um, which applies, I guess, to probably any major race event. But I, I just, you know, that's, I just was curious your take on that. So you've run two of these things now. Um, you know, we obviously, not having this year, but you got a whole year to think about it now. So having run the first couple, what do you, what can you learn or what would you do differently next year in terms of your approach um, because of the experience of the first two? Oh, uh, um, I obviously everybody hopes to qualify in. So that's really my, my big goal. Um, I want to finish the whole deal. Um, that was, that was a huge accomplishment. I thought in my rookie year, we yeah. were a couple laps down. Um, but stayed out of trouble and, and ended up with a solid top 15 finish. But sure. um, I think my downfall was I just was way, way, way too slow at the beginning. I, I was not on it enough, and I let way too many people get by me. And uh, I think at the end we were running the same laps as a lot of the people back there that I was with. And, uh, shoot, I mean, if I didn't let them by me, I don't know that they would have got by me. Yeah, And we, we probably could have been looking at maybe a top 10 car. So just don't don't wait so long to to pick up the pace. I was I was kind of playing possum, you know. Not not that we had no, a really I, fast I know what car. You're I, was saying, like yeah. I was running for the lead, but if you know what I mean, I I just waited too long to go and pick up the pace. Unfortunately, and that's something that I feel like is almost um, it's hard to pin down because I feel like every race gets run a little differently. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's always strategy in saving the car and saving the tires because, you, you know, it's, it does you no good to lead, you know, well, you, you, you know, you might get some, some beer or whatever, but it doesn't do you any good to lead, um, you know, a bunch of laps early if you're going to, you know, end up having to fade late because you burned the tires up and, and used up the car. Um, but it's hard to know exactly when to go because every classic plays out so much differently than, you know, than the one before, um, you know, attrition, accidents, caution laps. I mean, there's all those things factor in and it, I imagine that's very difficult as a driver to sort of be able to figure out, especially when you're fairly new. It was. And I think the hardest part for me, uh, last year was, um, honestly throwing out the, the mindset that. Oh, it's it's Joe Gozik and it's Otto Sitterly and it's Doug Didero <laughs> yeah. and oh, I got to be careful and that's that's hard. Yeah, I mean, because you you idolize these people and now you're out there wheel to wheel with them and and they're lapping you and you want to stay out of the way. Like yeah, one race last year, Keith Champagne and Joe Gozik are battling for the lead and they they catch up to me and um I saw it on the board and I got right out of the way and it's just it turns your your stomach. You don't want to mess anybody up. And I just wanted to make sure I was holding a smooth, consistent line every lap. You know, just hold your line. Don't go way down low. Don't go way up high. Hold your line and make them go around you and keep your speed up because that's where I lost a lot of time and honestly a lot of track position because I was slowing down way too much when they came around to lap me. 
Well, see, and that's you know you that that's a very honest uh, a very honest thing that you just said too because I think a lot of drivers would be you know to uh, whatever to admit to that, but you do get I imagine you do get very um, you know intimidated, and especially in the classic, you don't want to be the guy who took out Joe Gozik or whoever, but at no, the, at the no. same time. I feel like as, you know, someone who kind of teaches the mental realm of performance and deals with that every day, you you've got to get over that and realize I matter, I belong here and I have as much right to be in the top 5 or be racing hard as anyone else does and as long as I'm not erratic, which is what you just said, hold your line, but you know, if they got to work to get around you, that's part of it. You know, um, you know, let them solve the puzzle. And um, hopefully once you kind of can get to that mindset, then you're going fast enough. So you're not having to worry about getting lapped. (laughs) You know, that's that's it. That's That's really, you know, and I think that is. But it's it's I can only imagine what that's like the first couple of times for a rookie with all of those veterans. And, you know, like I said, you don't want nobody wants to be the goat. Right. And and so. Um, you know, it's just that mental transition. But um, so we obviously don't have classic this weekend, but we do have testing. So um, let's talk about what's going on as this show gets recorded. It's Friday morning. And of course, it'll be um, out tonight. So Friday night um, testing will be going on fast Friday. Um, talk about who we got coming. It looks like a fairly healthy group. Yeah, not bad. Uh, Tyler Thompson's coming out for the first time of the year. Good. And uh, gets to hold his defending classic champion title again for another year. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. He can come out um, tonight in testing and, you know, runs – run 16-3 for a few laps and slow down to 17-7 and then speed back up again and, you know, just kind of do the classic <laughs> thing. Um, I guess. I'll never forget. That was that was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yes, um, it was. But uh, that's good. I've been kind of wondering where Tyler's been all year, so that's good uh, to to hear that he's coming back out. Who else we got? Uh, Brandon Ballinger with a wing. Uh, he's going to kind of shake things down for Star. He was good. at Lee with the car and left the wing on, so we're going to get some winged track time in Good. Eric Iosu with both cars. Yep. And also Nick Kenny again with the 350. And then we have Derek Hilton with the SBS. Okay. And, and of course, Nick and Derek are both rookies and we talked about uh, both of them on last week's show. And again, just the opportunity. And I really ta- was talking with Eric about this in his interview too. Um, when you get to hear it, you'll, um, you'll hear what he said, but, but I, I, you know, the idea of here's another situation. I mean, he's certainly not a rookie, but they've got a brand new car and they're getting all this time to dial the car in without the pressure of thinking about entering it into race competition. And so hopefully by the time, you know, his first opportunity to race the car comes up next year, the car is ready to go. And, you know, they haven't had to sort of, um, trial it by fire under race conditions. They're, you know, they're getting all this opportunity to test it. And he does believe the car has great potential. Um, and uh, I think everyone probably would agree. Uh, you know, they've just got to figure out exactly what it needs in terms of setup. And uh, once they kind of get that down, um, 
you know, I'm sure he'll be in very good shape, but he's really excited about um, how his car is running right now. They they made a, cu- a couple of key changes, and, and uh, um, you know, it brought the car back to life. Right, it did. Um, they they really struggled with that car yesterday, or yeah, yesterday, <laughs> last year. <laughs> um, and uh, no, he he surprised me honestly. He was struggling with the the new car and, and went right out. And within just a couple of laps, he was sixteen six on used tires with yeah. with the booth car. So no, he looked really really good. Uh, and yeah, back again tonight with more time in, in both cars. And um, look, I mean, Dave Ioso, John Coloca. <laughs> There's there's a ton of potential there. There's yep. there's no doubt they'll get the new one figured out too. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, obviously it's much like the Didero car, but uh, with some you know a few little changes to it that John wanted yep. to try. But um, you know, again, sometimes when you bring a car out, it just uh, it takes a little while to sort of figure it out. And even though in theory it should run just as good as the the, the one you just built. Um, every car is a little different and, uh, I know they'll get there with it. Um, but that should be, uh, should be another good opportunity for him to find some speed. I know he said they had made some changes to it, um, for today. So they were hopeful that that was, you know, going to start them in the right direction anyway. Um, so it sounds like we've got what, six or seven, Six, it was Six. seven, and Danny yeah. Connors backed out. Okay, so we've got half a dozen um, so far anyway. Who knows uh, what happens between now and the, the, the time um, the gates swing open. But uh, right. I think it's great, honestly, that at least, if nothing else, um, and again, you know, you try to make lemonade out of the lemon, um, <laughs> you know, we're going we're gonna, to, those who are able to be there, they won't be able to be inside, which I think is ridiculous, but they won't be able to be inside, but they'll be able to be there and hear the roar of the motors anyways uh, on Classic Weekend. So for those who have actually set up their campers, which I think is the coolest thing ever, by the way, um, good for you. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll be able to actually, you know, sit outside the camper and, and uh, enjoy a beverage and listen to the engines roar. Uh, and hopefully... Um, you're going to be there updating all of us on what's going on because uh, we're all going to be waiting with bated breath to see how you know how it all works out tonight. And um, love to obviously see some uh, some live video if uh, if you if, if you or somebody can can uh, get a phone going and and show us some things. Absolutely, yeah. We'll we'll keep everyone posted, and uh, I'll put out as much Facebook Live and, and pictures as I can. I I feel really bad for the fans and um you know at the same time it's been a pleasure reading through facebook this week how much oswego speedway means seeing everybody's memories oh, i've yeah. really enjoyed all that and uh wish i could rip the gate open and, and let people in to see practice tonight because i think it's ridiculous honestly as well but um you know it's it's something it's something they they're having their virtual classic camps and their their campers set up like you said so <laughs> yeah. at least at least we can hear the race cars on what should have been classic weekend. Well, we're going to, um, and this is the first that, uh, I'm announcing this on this show. So, uh, listen up folks. Those of you who are listening to the show, here's the announcement. We are going to do a live 
something on Sunday. Um, trying to, the, what, what I'm aiming for is between the uh, truck race and the cup race. That way there's a nice little pocket for us to fit into where nobody has to divide their time or whatever. And, and um, you know, I'm sure half of you are going, well, I don't care about that anyway. Well, I'm a media guy, kind of have to. So um, in between the two races, I want to do a live uh, deal and, and uh, uh, I'll be in touch with uh, a couple of folks here over the course of the day today to see about uh, joining me on that. And Cam, I know you're going to um, try to make the effort to do that. You've got some other things that are, um, you know, that are that are demanding some of your 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 attention here at the moment. Yeah. Um, but hopefully it'll work out that you can join us and and uh, talk classic. And that's really what it, all it is is basically just. Uh, um, I will say that part of this. Uh, we've got a few classic trivia questions that uh, um, have been passed my way by Brian Cavalier, and, and oh, I, boy. <laughs> I, I was when he sent them to me, I, I was like, okay, that's that's such a cool idea um, that I wish I'd thought it of it. So thanks, Brian. Um, so we're gonna toss those out on Sunday, um, and. Uh, Look forward to having some fun with those, just as things that we can use as discussion points. But it's really just about people sharing classic memories and having some fun for, you know, an hour or so. Um, and so, hope uh, you can join us. It'll be uh, on the Inside Groove Facebook page is where we're going to do this. Uh, and I've just got to uh, kind of brush up on my live streaming software here between now and then because um, it's not as instinctive for me as it is for most people half my age. Um, so we'll uh, we'll get that worked out and we'll go live on Sunday for a bit and uh, enjoy some classic conversation. Camden, I know you've got a full day today and you want to make sure that you're ready to go for the uh, the practice tonight. So um, certainly do uh, appreciate you joining us as always and being a part of the show and uh, look forward to having you on on Sunday, if at all possible to uh, enjoy some classic day conversation with us. You bet, Tom. I'm really looking forward to Sunday and I, I think I'm going to go up in the tower and we'll, we'll do it from there. Oh, so fun. I, it'll be, it'll be nice to kind of be on location. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. So uh, we'll we'll talk with you on Sunday, and uh, uh, we're going to step aside here. And when we come back, our classic rewind, 1985, right after this. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Call is threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Do not provide them with any form of payment or information. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just a school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. 
My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financial aid is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we head into our closing segment here. Uh, but this is not going to be a real quick close because we've got some business to do yet. Uh, first of all, I want to address the number 58 really quick, and then we'll go into our classic rewind uh, and talk about 1985. So uh, the 58 is a number that uh, I couldn't, again, there are some numbers that you just get a lot of depth and others that you don't. Um, I... I make it a practice, as most of you know by now, I make, <clears throat> excuse me, I make it a practice of not going back too far um, into the 60s or whatever before my time, because I want that there are, we've got a lot of listeners who, that was their era, the 70s forward has been mine, so I kind of focus there. Um, and so that's why I love, you know, guys like Robert Metcalf and Larry Trinka and, and some of the other guys of of you who um, actually kind of have some fun with this and rack your brains so we come up with as complete a list for each number as possible. And I also love it when Camden and Danny Kay did it before him and Camden kept it up, the, the, the countdown to opening day because you get all those numbers and then you get to just uh, tease your brain and add to them. So the very first number 58 I remember is Mark Letcher back in... 73, I think it was. Uh, the Hagen Howard car was the 40 that Norm Mackrath drove. Um, they renumbered it uh, 58, and Mark took it over. I don't know. Uh, I don't know exactly kind of how the 58 got chosen or whatever. Maybe there's somebody out there who knows that detail, but um, or why Mark was chosen, honestly, to drive. I don't know the history of that, but I just know that he was the first one. Uh, remember one night he, uh, I think he blew a motor, um, and some of the oil got on his hands. That was back when not, not everybody wore gloves, and I uh, remember he burned his hands, um, but he came back. And again, a nice run in the Classic that year, too, um, with that car, and you know, Mark was, uh, I always thought Mark was 10 times more talented than a lot of the opportunities he had. You know, my, my one of my favorite Mark Letcher moments, um, Mark was, Mark, a lot like Gary Albright, Mark was a driver that if he jumped into the car, he could, you know, he would find the limits of it pretty quick. And I remember, what year? 74, I think. Um, and it was 74, maybe 75, no, 74. It was in the 25-lap Invitational, and Mark had, um, he had been driving, maybe it was the Ernie and Bob June 59 that year, I'm not sure, but he had been driving a car, um, it was no longer in that car, and had the opportunity to jump into the Kenny Reese double zero that uh, Paul Baumhauer had been driving. And Mark went out in that Invitational and took the lead. Um, 
can't remember who he passed even for the lead, but I know he passed somebody for the lead, and I thought he was going to win it. And I remember as a kid, I can still remember this, that watching the, like how this race ended, unfolded at the end. You know, Mark was leading, and I was cheering for him. Kenny Andrews was coming up behind him, and I think it was going into one that Kenny, Mark went a little wide, and Kenny filled the hole and drove by and <laughs> beat him on the last lap. And I remember being so disappointed by that because it wasn't it, that I wasn't a Kenny Andrews fan or whatever. It wasn't a disrespect to Kenny. I just really wanted Mark to win. Um, and I think, like I said, for whatever reason, when I was little, I don't know where this comes from or why, but instinctively, I always, whenever it would be an underdog situation, I was almost always for the underdog. And that went across the board, not just in racing. It was just something in me for whatever reason. Um, And so I was really interested in seeing Mark win that race. And that may have been one of Mark's finest moments at the Speedway was that race. And I also remember a really good classic that Mark drove in the uh, Tobin 21 somewhere in the mid to later 70s as well the um the car that uh the, the wedge i always called it the wedge because it it looked like a i always thought that car that orange 21 looked like um something you'd see in a pinewood derby right <laughs> something you'd make out of wood it was just this, it was kind of a wedge-shaped car um and uh but it but it had speed in it and mark i think he finished seventh sixth or seventh something like that uh, he was always good in the longer races. But anyways, I digress. So um, we, when, when I think about the 58, Mark is the first one that comes to mind. And then the next 58, I remember, is Jim Mayfield out of Ohio came in to run some classics. It was a, it was a show car chassis, um, like a yellowish kind of car, I think. Um, really nice looking car, as I recall it. And then, um, ironically enough, Jamie Letcher, when he came out, uh, ended up as running as the 58, which I always thought was really interesting because you didn't see, um, again, you hadn't seen too many 58s. And I also thought it was funny because Jamie ended up running the same number as his dad did that number of years ago. And I I really kind of always wondered if there was some correlation there or it was just a random coincidence, but I thought that was funny. Those are the only three in the supers, those are the only three fifty-eights that um, that that I can recall, uh, as far as I remember. And I fe- I almost feel like I'm missing one, but I I don't know who it would be. Um, so again, you're welcome to fill in blanks. The only other fifty-eight I remember seeing in a Swiggo, uh, I think, was Tom Gush in the modified. Uh, in his modified 58, and we talked about Tom in last on last week's show because Tom drove the Ernie and Bob Dream 59 back in 1980. Never been in a Super before and finished, uh, I think, 11th in the Classic in that year. So, okay, so we go to the year 1985. And, uh, and again, uh, to, if, if any of you can fill in 58s, put them in the comments box. And... and uh, and let's see him. We go to 1985, and we can set the table here a little bit with what was going on at the time. So 
I feel like 1985 was another one of those um, years like 1980. 1980 was a transitional year, but it, it was kind of the year after. You know, we ran a rear engine car for the last time in 79. We, we know what happened there. They got banned, and then now we're in 1980, and it's kind of a new chapter, so to speak. Um, the Supers were a little less unlimited. You'd ban the four-wheel drives. You'd ban the rear engine cars. So there was a little bit of a more definitive kind of vision or, or box for what a Super Modified could be though still a very wide space in that box um and i feel like 1985 was a similar year only on the the dynasty or the driving front because in 1980 jimmy champagne leads all 200 laps of the classic Doug Haveron finishes second, Steve Joya third. Now, Steve had been around a good while, um, you know, by that point, seven years, I think. So I don't want to label him in 1980 as a, a young one or a young driver. He was well-established and won a classic and contended for several track championships, um, but Doug Hevron, who finished second, I feel like you can attach a little symbolism looking back and say that Jimmy winning and Doug finishing second, the torch kind of got passed because Jimmy was on. Jimmy was kind of at at that point. Uh, I hasten to, to to add at that point in 1980, Jimmy was kind of phasing out his super modified career and was only running selected shows. And so of course we all know if we were, have been around long enough to, to have witnessed it in 1981, it became the, the Doug Hevron era, right? It, it, that Dougie began his big run. Um, He had two wins in 1980 and then in 81 in 82, you know, in 83, <laughs> it was, you know, that, that those were the, the, the Hevron years. Um, and you had a number of different sort of twists and turns, and you had the Hevron rivalry with, with what developed be, between sort of Hevron and Bellinger because it seemed like in those years, those two guys, and not to say there weren't others, um, between 81 and 83 because Steve won some and, and other drivers won, but I feel like it was mostly, you know, Haveron and Bellinger. And of course, then Champagne came back in 82. We all kind of remember what happened there with, with the 89 and, and just could never get the motor to stop act, acting up long enough to figure the handling out. And they finally were, were getting it close and he won a week or two before classic and, um, time trialed third with seven cylinders and then lost his life in the modified crash the next day. Um, so we kind of went through all of that. And then Hevron left to go NASCAR racing and <laughs> passed the torch to Bentley Warren, <laughs> who was on chapter like four of his career, if you look at his kind of um, the arc of his career was, you know, the 60s and then to Indy 
and then back in supers with the old Swift car in the in in the the mid seventies, where he for a couple of years he won about everything you could win except the classic, um, and then uh, you know that car kind of got dated, and they bought the Graves car and you know, look good for a little while, but, you know, Bentley was so busy in business, they're going to have the maintenance program, and so Bentley was kind of, by the early 80s, Bentley's, what I call his third chapter of his career, was was kind of starting to wind down, and it, and it looked like maybe Bentley would retire. Well, then Tom Heveron called and recruited Bentley to sort of be a mentor or a consultant for Dougie at Indy. Um, and, you know, they got to be close friends. Uh, he had he had driven the car, the backup car in the 82 Classic. And uh, I think he had to pit for a tire and lost a lap. And he ended up like eighth or ninth somewhere. Um, and so come 1983, Doug goes Indy and... Uh, then has the crash and has the leg injury. So he's out of the 500 and Bentley comes back, runs the modified for the Heverons in the port city, um, had some speed, but didn't finish very well. Then comes back in the super. And of course, then it, it, it becomes, you know, the Bentley Bellinger show for a while. Um, and they they locked into a championship battle, and then here comes Dougie, and we all remember how that kind of went. And then um, Bentley wins the title, Bellinger wins the classic, and then the cars get sold, um, and or the the older car first gets sold, the one that Dougie ran in '81 and '82, um, and. Ed Bowley buys it and drops Bentley in it for 1984. And they literally just lit it up. And I think that was a triple crown year. They won the championship at Oswego. They won the classic. They won star. I th- I'm pretty sure they won Sandusky for the triple crown. Um, they That was a huge year for the Bowleys and for Bentley. And then we get to 1985. So we had that transition from Hevron to what turned out to be Bentley. And again, not to say that other drivers didn't run well. Gosh, the competition was really thick. But Bentley just, you know, they just had it that year. And it was almost like in 1984, the Flying Five couldn't miss. I think the first couple races that Bentley ran in it early in the season at Oswego, they had issues. And then after that, it was pretty much all wine and roses uh, for for that group. So we come into 1985, and you would assume that there would be more of, well, again, this is why we run races. Bentley was fast. Bentley won his share. But, you know, Bentley didn't um, win everything there was to win. And you had some other drivers at that point that had really gotten some speed, uh, even more speed out of their cars. Um, and, and, you know, Joe Gozik was was climbing the ranks. Steve was still fast. 
You had uh, Doug Didero, who was running the Dates car, who had speed. Conium was driving for Clyde Booth. Uh, Mike Muldoon had um, started to find more. Um, I mean, this this was a thick field going into the Classic, and you you figured that Bentley would be a favorite, but I don't feel like we thought it was an automatic. And, you know, again, this is why we, we run the races. And just looking at the time trials for the 1985 Classic, um, you had to go way, way deep into the time trials before we got to the drama about the pole. And let me explain what I mean by that. If you'll recall, those of you who were around back then, uh, <laughs> Eddie Bellinger was, at the moment, with a 17.395, was your your pole sitter. Um, and Dave Schulich had been involved in a, uh, as Darrell Waltrip would say, a horrendous crash. Uh, with the Mucci 98, Ron Mucci's car, and was recovering at Bellinger's house that week. So going into the Classic, Schulick goes out and waves off the first lap. I don't remember what... Well, I think he just couldn't go with his group. There was something there anyway that, that happened. So no time on lap one. He pulled the pits. He was the last car to come out, and he ends up knocking Bellinger off the pole with a seventeen three three six. That was a really, um, that was a really cool thing, you know, bit of drama. The type of drama actually back then that we see every year now with a fa- with Fast Friday because instead of random groups, now we're time trialing slowest to fastest. So you you kind of manufacture that drama just by the nature of how you lining up the cars to qualify but um dave and eddie were awfully quick and bellinger i feel like and joya were a very big part of the story that year and i think that was steve's track championship year actually um and so you had a lot of fast cars um Schillick ended up being quickest bellinger was second joe gozik uh third and a 17 joya was fourth quickest uh, Gary Albritton was fifth, so you see Bentley's not even in the top five. Doug Heveron was driving the Skipmatic 3 that year in 1985. He came back to run the three car, and he qualified sixth quickest. And then you had Jim Paternoster, and this was another little bit of irony. I love when stuff like this happens. Jim Paternoster, not of Race Master Engineering, but the driver, Jim Paternoster, I think out of the Utica area, um, Jim had purchased the newer of the two Heveron cars so he was in the the car that Bentley drove in 82 and 83 classics and Jim went out and and uh qualified seventh but the irony is he and Doug tied they both had the exact same time a 17506 um so that was kind of funny eighth quick was Mike Ordway. Ninth was Doug Sonier driving the Jamie Moore number 40. So Sonier um, out of Ohio, uh, and and he did a great job in the car that year. And then 10th quickest was Don Ramage out of Canada. 
Um, and I, I look down the rest of the field. I'll, I'll just go ahead and run the top 24 off for you here out of, out of qualifying because, again, some of the names. Um, Bentley actually qualified 11th quickest. Jerry O'Neill was driving the show car number eight at the time. Um, he qualified 12th. Tim Nelson was 13th. Brian Herb qualified 14th. Jamie Moore, 15th. He was driving uh, the, the, the 10 car for Joe McGarry, I believe, that year. Uh, let's see. 16th was Kenny Chapman in the 78. Dean Hogue driving his own car, two was 17th. Uh, 18th was Dave Thomas in the six. Um, I want to say that was a New England car. I can't remember the gentleman's name who owned it. I can't believe I can't, but um, I'm sure one of you will get it and put it in the comments. Uh, but Dave Thomas, 18th quick in the six car. 19th was Mike Muldoon in the 80. Still under 17 seconds, by the way. 17.794 was 19th quick that year. 20th was Joe Paino in the Steve Miller 16. I love that uh, that car qualified in. That That's that's awesome. Um, 21st was Doug Didero in the Dates car. And again, still 17.803. Still under 17 seconds. 22nd quick was Russ Wood in the Joe Barry 01. 23rd was Bobby Renz in the 49 car. And 24th quickest was Den Lichty out of Canada at uh, 17887 and again top 24 all under 18 seconds and just to give you an idea of some of the other uh what I thought were actually really cool and I'm I'm just scrolling this from the bottom up here the time trial list from that year um you had Joe Grunda in the field he did not make it through qualifying but he was there George Snyder that was the year Ziggy drove the backup Bowie car, which was the show car that they'd had and run um, in previous years. Uh, he ended up winning, I think, either a heat or a semi or maybe even both um, on Sunday. But, uh, yeah, that was the year Ziggy drove that car. You had Howie Brown still in the field. Jim Shirey was there. Um, Mike Reuter was in the 34 car at that point, um, the Mobile One Entry race sand and the McAuliffe 18 was there. Dave Morton was driving for Norris McDonald in the 27. Bruce Waddell in the former Duncan car that would eventually go to Todd Stoll. Bruce uh, was in the field. Um, let's see. Graham Kells, Paul Reichman, Pat Schillick was there. Chip Simmons was driving the number 30 that year. Um Gosh, I wonder what 30 that was, because he was really slow, and Chip was fa usually faster than that. Um, Denny Wheeler was in the number 68. Now, I've always, and, and those of you who are listening to this show, maybe you can clarify this for me, but I remember when I, when I saw that car, it was kind of a goofy-looking car. It had a goofy-looking roll cage. It was sort of an oddly shaped and, and you know, odd-looking super. And I remember somebody saying, maybe it was Roy or whoever the announcer was at, in the moment, um, something about a guy 
it, it's it, the guy the guy that owns it is into powerboats. And later on, I thought I saw a picture of the car with Middlesex Marine, which would have been um, Mike Mazur, who, of course, eventually, you know, came into prominence with Doug Haveron and, and Bentley uh, in the next couple of years in Supermodifieds. But I don't know if Mazur owned the car, just sponsored it or what, but I remember it being, I think it was a number eight to start with, and uh, it ended up being 68. Um, then he didn't make the field, but... Um, but he was there with that car. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Tom Quinney in the 29. We had Freddie Graves was driving the Ralph McLaughlin 48 that year. And I remember him winning a Concy in that car, but not Classic Weekend. Um, I don't think, I'm not sure, but I don't think Freddie made the starting field that year with with that car but uh he was driving for ralph that was what they the car they called the b the black and yellow show car um that didero later uh drove to some some good performances um yeah i mean there was the Gene Lee gibson uh was was there in 85 so we had a, a great group of cars again still a very diverse field art Rousseau, uh mark letcher was in the 32 just oh by the way at that point in time um so then we get to the classic race and again you know transitionally you think well this is kind of up for grabs at this point but it ended up being um ended up being a race that really still did encompass the the usual suspects so to speak um i mean you had some guys have was in contention for a while uh, and and uh, he had some sort of an issue with the car, and, and I think he, let's see, where does it say he finished here? 12th. Um, whoops, nope, that's not right. Let me go back here. Um, there we go, finished, uh, oh, it was up by one, finished 11th. Um, Eddie Bellinger ended up winning the race, and it was kind of a deal where that for Eddie, you know, 83, he said the front end was shaking so bad he almost pulled it in, but he decided to hang around and look what it got him. So I remember that in 85, um, he ended up in a crash in warm-ups. And, and then, of course, he, <laughs> he went out in time trials and shot pole until, um, you know, until Dave Schillick took it away from him. But Eddie ended up winning, leading most of the race and winning. Bentley finished second, but he just didn't have the race car that Eddie did that day. Sonia, I, I mentioned earlier, was driving Jamie Moore's car 40, the the old champagne uh, offset car that uh, is now, of course, restored in, in the museum. Um, Doug finished third. Schulich ended up fourth and Conium fifth that year. Dean Hogue sixth. Gene Lee Gibson seventh. Mike Muldoon, Mike Ordway, and Gary Albritton, who was driving for Tobin, rounded out the field. And, <coughs> excuse me, Havron, O'Neill, Carmen, Shirey, and Herb. And then... Didero, Thomas, Garvey, Paino, and Wood in the top 20. Um, let's see who we got outside of that. 21st was Nelson, then Chapman, then Jamie Moore in the 10, Dennis Lichty, Jim Paganoster, Steve Joya, uh, who didn't have a great classic race that year. A.J. Michaels in the uh, number four, the late A.J. Michaels. He was driving for Ralph Wissing at the time. Pat Schillick, Don Rummage, Joe Grunda, Bob Renz, Ziggy Snyder finished 32nd, then Brown and Gozik. Um, the rookie of the race, by the way, Gene Lee Gibson. Um, and so I guess I was right. I was looking for Freddie Graves' name in Ralphie's car, but I guess he didn't make it that year. 
So uh, 1985, like I said, I feel like it was kind of a transition uh, because even if you look at 86 and 87, the as strong as Bentley was still in in those years, I mean, he had that one big year in 84 where everything went right. And then from then on, the competition kind of caught up a little. Uh, Bentley ended up winning the title in 86 over Gozik, I believe, um, but again, you know, you in those years, it you you had Joe coming up, and you you almost then we get to '87, and you know Bentley starts off the year, and you know Haveron's there in the '61 Junior, and you know those two were both fast. Doug only won a couple of races, had a lot of problems with the Mazer car that year, just couldn't quite you know didn't have the consistency, but always seemed to have speed. Um, and then we had that, the 10,000 to win race where the two of them crashed and, um, it, I think it was, uh, McKnight, maybe somebody blew a motor and they got in the oil and just boy, full speed into the third turn wall. I don't think we had foam back then. Maybe I may be wrong about that, but it was a, it was just a terrible hit for both of them. And they're, you know, writhing in pain on the ground kind of laughing at each other at the race they just had and and so going into the classic you know that was one of those situations where i think uh, the idea was you know let's take off and go um and see if we can you know lap the field make a pit stop whatever and uh doug crashed early gotten uh something happened on a either on a restart or maybe with a lap car but it was off turn four. That was the only classic I sat in the back straightaway. So my my memories of that race, as far as my visuals, it's like everything that happened on the front stretch is almost like, you know, it's microscopic because I couldn't see the full, you know, picture of it because I was sitting on the other side. Um, you know, I love certain aspects about sitting in the back stretch, but I, I told myself after that I would never do that again for a classic because I just like to see the finish line. Um, but... Uh, Long story short, Warren Coney won that race. Uh, you know, so I just feel like 85 was, was sort of a, um, a a bit of a transition out of the transition. Bentley's now in the Flying Five. He had the huge year in 84. And, you know, then you had some of these other drivers that, that really kind of had great years. And, you know, as, as much as Bentley won in the Five um, going forward, it was never quite so magical. You know, there were so many other cars capable of winning that, you know, it just didn't go the way that you would have maybe thought that it might have gone um, for those next few years. And then eventually transitioning into the Mazer car. And we all know the rest of Bentley's history. He had, you know, he had about two or three more chapters (laughs) of the career, you know, going forward. But, you know, I think when you look at the 80s as a whole from, say, 80 to 85, you had Bentley, you had Hevron, you had Joya, you had Bellinger. You started to have Gozik more and more each year. Uh, you had a number of drivers in the Tobin 21 that were strong. The Matzik 3, um, you know, was 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 there, uh, I think. Um, you know, that uh, Schulich had had a great run in it the year before. Uh, to finish second to Bentley in the Classic. There were, I'm probably missing three or four cars. Jamie Moore was fast, um, but Jamie was fast about everything he ever drove. Um, you know, so I, I just feel like that was sort of one of those years when 
um, it was more up for grabs maybe than it, you know, in other years where you had a definitive favorite, say 81, you knew that, you know, it, it, anything could happen in the classic, but if Heveron did not break or falter, he was probably going to win. You know, Eddie really ran a great race that year, but, you know, again, you, Doug just, that year was basically Doug's year. Um, you know, he he found a way, and uh, 82 was, was mostly the same. Um, but, you, you know, that was a fun classic, 85 was, and we were still, I feel like, in the throes of what I would call the apogee. We had a long sort of, you know, it's almost like um, we we came out of the 60s into the 70s, and once we kind of got the, there weren't quite as many uprights, you know, there were more of the, the sort of roadster style cars. You still had the Deuce. You still had, you know, the Austin Brothers. You still had a few of the cars that sort of looked like, yeah, the Reichert deal in 73, 74, where, he, you know, he was doing the the, the, the two-division tango with, with you know, the, the uh, 78 car there. You take the body off as a super. You put it on as a modified. Once we got to about 72, say, 73, I feel like from there until, you know, maybe into the 90s, there was this long sort of, you know, it would be like a ridiculously long final song in a rock concert or encore, you know, um, you go to a Foghat show and they play Slow Ride for 30 minutes. Um, You know, that's, that's kind of what I feel like that whole era represented. And it wasn't until the mid-90s when, you know, the Booth car came out that, you know, the whole Arrow thing really started to, and then I think that was a whole other era. But in that span of time from 76 when he came back until, um, you know, until, uh, what, early 2000s, I guess, um, or whenever it was that Bentley stopped. I guess it was earlier than that. It was probably mid-90s when Bentley stopped competing regularly. I feel like, you know, there were two or three different Bentley eras in that time span. Um, but but 85 was one of those years, I think 85 to 90 in that area. Um, you had so many competitive cars, and, and I, I remember that classic really well. Um, and, you know, Eddie picking up his second classic, and it seemed like he always won the classic when he, he it, 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 I'm sure later on, you know, like he won a couple in the 90s, and, um, you know, I think he was probably the best car at, at, at one or two of those anyway. But I, I feel like the first two that he won, he was about as good a car as anybody, but he wasn't necessarily the best car. He 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 actually was in circumstances where he could have given it up and decided, you know, I'm <laughs> stay on the track, you know, or or that that weekend in eighty five he had overcome the practice crash and um you know, and then went on to have a really, really good race and probably was at that point the dominant car in that one. But uh, you had to get you had to get repaired from the practice crash to do it. So, just some really interesting things to think about back then when you look back at those races and and you know, drivers who were hot and drivers you know who were coming in and you still had you know we we would still see um, 
invaders, so to speak. And that year, for example, Havron was an invader in the Massacre. He was not a regular uh, runner that year. And uh, Sonier, um, you know, those guys, and, and they, of course, Sonier figured into the top five. He actually podiumed. Um, and, and Dougie certainly was a contender early on in the uh, in the event before he had problems with the three. I'm not, I can't remember back then. It seemed like maybe the, for some reason, I don't know if it was a motor or whatever, but something something happened in either the car lost power, he had to pit or something. Um, but he faded toward the end, and that's he ended up finishing 11. But it was still a good run for him. So, yeah, there's, there's 1985, um, and it's hard to believe when we think about that. 35 years ago, I graduated high school in 1985. That's how long ago that was. Um, but uh, it, was a, it was a fun year. That was a good season. Uh, we're going to talk about 1990 uh, on next week's show. Um, and like I said, we know we're going past Classic Weekend with this, but why not? I mean, what's more fun to talk about than the Classic, right? So we're going to... We're going to do 90, then 95, then 2000, then 2005, and then 2010, and 2015. So we got six more shows worth of classics to talk about, doing them in five-year in- intervals. And um, we are going to uh, also talk classic on Sunday. And that's the last thing that I'm going to kind of remind you of. So on Sunday afternoon... Um, there, there are two NASCAR races, the truck race and the cup race. Um, in between those races, we are going to go live. So mid-afternoon on Sunday, um, I'm going to say around 3, 3.30, we're going to go live, which is really kind of good timing because um, that's usually about the time the Classic would be starting now that I think about it. So we're going to go live. Uh, I'm on. Uh, this will be a live Facebook live stream on um, on our Inside Groove podcast Facebook page. So make sure all of your friends know about it. We'll put the link up. I'll put the link up as soon as I set it on Sunday, um, probably, you know, after lunch. Um, keep a watch for it and please share it out so everybody uh, can join in the fun. Uh, I think Camden's going to be going live from the track, I think maybe in the tower. Um, and, uh, we're just going to gather around all of you jump in and let's just talk classic. Uh, we've got some trivia. Oh, by the way, and this just in, there are prizes for the trivia. We're going to do some classic trivia. We got a handful of classic trivia questions and, uh, Brian Cavalier has, uh, I, I, Brian, thank you again. I love your feedback. Um, I love the time that you take to uh, to try to energize and, and improve in, in whatever the, the show. And, and uh, Brian uh, fed us some trivia questions. I think we've got three. I'm going to try to get to five or six. So, uh, Brian, if you hear this before, <laughs> figure out a couple more. Um, and we want to make them somewhat difficult so that nobody can just, um, you know, nobody could just uh, easily identify them. But the answers, but uh, we're, we're going to do that, and we're going to have some prizes courtesy of uh, the Oswego Speedway. And um, Camden will let me know by then what uh, the prizes are, but uh, hopefully maybe T-shirts or hats or something. Um, 
you know, maybe Johnny Teresi's autograph. Who knows? Uh, but we'll definitely uh, have some prizes for the the first response that we see in the uh, in the in in the uh, the chat for the show. That's you got to be present to win, and uh, it's the first one to type the answer into the chat that's uh, going to get this uh, get the prize for each question. So, um, and and I mean, here's the other catch I'm going to put into this, just so you guys all know going forward. Um, before we get there, you can only win once. Okay. <laughs> we want four different or five different, you know, whatever we, we, we don't want to give the same person three or four prizes. So if, if you win the first one, then just don't play for the next four, just watch. Um, and don't, don't pass the answer to your buddy either. <laughs> Let's keep this on it. Shall we? Um, but that's going to be some fun. And uh, if this goes well, I think this is something that we may do a little bit more as we get into the off season. Um, Because I know as much as I know you guys love talking supers, as you know, so do I. Um, And I like the interaction with with you guys. And I know there are some of you who uh, have crew members or whatever that aren't on Facebook. Um, You know, invite them to your house or something. You know, and and, uh, I'm going to try to rip the audio as well, and we'll share it out just like we share these shows. Um, And uh, so at least those who miss the live stream will be able to hear the audio. Uh, So we'll figure out how to do that and make that work. But uh, I think, you know, I'd like to do more of these. I don't want to commit to a certain schedule, maybe a monthly kind of thing, just something like that to, to, you know, to get everybody together and just talking about Oswego and supers and, and all of that. Um, and so for now, I'm going to say we're done. <laughs> I'm going to throw the checkered flag on this because I've got to get on the road to Florence Motor Speedway in South Carolina for a race tonight and then Hickory tomorrow. Um, but uh, look forward to Sunday again. Uh, don't want to pin down to an exact time, but as soon as the truck race is over and I can – kind of get things under motion here um we'll we'll do you know half hour to an hour maybe an hour uh 45 minutes to an hour somewhere in there and just uh have a little fun and so hope you all join us classic trivia and just some great classic conversation hope you're all safe up there hope everybody uh is safe at fast friday and um you know hoping obviously that uh, everybody gets their cars a little more dialed in um and a uh, good variety tonight for uh, uh for fast friday as well so uh until sunday when we get together live on the inside groove facebook page for inside groove live classic day edition i'm tom baker thank you for joining please all of you share these shows we we want everybody to know about them and and so please all of you who listen share these shows like comment share that's it it takes just a minute but it definitely gets more of an audience in and you know again i want to make this party as big as we can so uh if you will help me each of you who are listening just take a moment to like the show comment um you know holler but don't hit and share the show um onto your you know your facebook wall uh let everybody else know that it it exists each week and just keep that out there um that would be awesome and would help us to grow the family so to speak 
I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you live on Sunday for our uh, Classic Live edition. Until then, so long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.